out if you haven't done so already and turn to Psalm 1, the very beginning. And I just marked the wrong one in my Bible, so give me a minute. <laughs> we'll all turn there together. Psalm 1. In many of the Psalms, there will be kind of a little title there that's right there in uh, the Hebrew underneath. So I don't know how your Bible does it. Mine does it a little bit differently, but it's usually kind of a small, smaller typeface right underneath the, the number. Uh, for example, if you're right there in the beginning of the Psalms, Psalm 3 says, a Psalm of David. Psalm 4 says, to the chief musician. Psalm 5, to the chief musician. That's right there in the Hebrew text. Uh, but the, those that numbered the verses for us didn't start numbering until they got into the psalm itself. Psalm 1 doesn't have a title. And so we're given no author here. Uh, and it's not attributed to anyone any el anywhere else in the New Testament or anything like that or in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes... For example, I believe it's Psalm 2 that the New Testament identifies David as the author of that psalm. And so even though it doesn't say so in Psalm 2, we know from the New Testament that David wrote it. We don't have anything like that in Psalm 1. There's no author there to start off the book of Psalms. Charles Spurgeon said about Psalm 1 that this psalm may be regarded as the preface psalm having in it a notification of the contents of the entire book of Psalms. It is the psalmist's desire to teach us the way to blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. This, then, is the matter of the first psalm, which may be looked upon in some, re in some respects as the text upon which the whole book of the Psalms make up one divine sermon. Warren Wearsby also wrote that Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm, and focuses on God's word, God's blessings to those who obey it and meditate on it, and God's ultimate judgment of those who rebel. Wisdom Psalms also wrestle with the problem of evil in the world and why God permits the prosperity of the wicked who reject his law. So having given you that little bit of background, let's look at Psalm 1 together. We'll read the whole thing and then get into the message this afternoon. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the, right, the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In Psalm 1, we have uh, three different men described for us. Three men described for us. And the first one is the blessed man. The blessed man. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, in verse 1, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So what are the, the descriptions of the blessed man or the blessed man? Well, first of all, we see he's guided by the word. 
What doesn't he do? He does not walk, it says, in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't follow worldly counsel. He doesn't follow worldly advice or poor advice. He doesn't live his life the way the world lives. He follows something else entirely. And in order to know and identify what it is that is worldly or ungodly, we have to, as this man does, seek what is godly. Psalm 119 verse 105 is a verse that probably most of us have known since we were little kids. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does that verse imply? That if you're not uh, walking with God's word, you're walking in darkness, right? Uh, How can you identify the way of the ungodly or the counsel of the ungodly? Well, by the word of God. He walks, he's guided by the word. The word of God keeps you on the right path. The Word of God keeps you in the right place. The Word of God keeps you setting right priorities. We're not following ungodly words or ungodly ways or ungodly wealth, but rather committed fully to the way of righteousness. That's the blessed man. He's guided by the Word. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. We need to give our lives to the Lord in that we let him call the shots, if you will. We let his word show us the path that we should take and the steps that we should take. The world uh, does not give good godly counsel or advice. That seems obvious, but how often and how easy it is for us to go the way of the world, just in some normal everyday things. We need to be guided by the word, guided by the word. And then we see that the blessed man is gladdened by the word. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He delights in the word. He enjoys it. He rejoices in it. Uh, There's joy in the word for him. We find him not only delighting in the word, but meditating on the word day and night. It's on his mind. He ruminates on it. He brings it to mind. It's constantly in his thoughts. Psalm 119 verse 14 says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. One of the things that always kind of fascinates me when the psalmist in particular will say how much uh, he delights and loves the law of God. We're talking about, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You know, everybody that makes a New Year's resolution to read through the Bible, we're having a great time in January until we start hitting the end of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. No, the psalmist says, I I delight. The man, the blessed man delights in his word. There's joy in it. He meditates on it. It's always on his mind. Job said in Job 23, my foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Uh, I, I dare say there's very few of us that would not eat breakfast until we've done our devotions. 
right? Uh, I, I, I get kind of busy and I forget sometimes to eat lunch. And so about two o'clock, I, I realize, oh, <laughs> I don't always have that same, you know, at, at about two o'clock, I, I get a little hangry, a little shaky, you know, all of a sudden the hunger is real, whereas I haven't noticed it. I don't think I can remember a time where I've gotten that way because I missed my Bible reading, right? But Job says, I have esteemed the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. It's more important to me than, than food, than a meal. He's gladdened by the word. There's joy in it. He meditates on it. Uh, he's guided by the word. He walks according uh, to the way of the Lord. That's the blessed man. That's the blessed man. And we know, of course, that the word blessed also means happy. Happy is this man who is guided by the word and gladdened by the word. And then notice also the blossoming man. The blossoming man, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The blossoming man, what, what makes this man? Well, we find that he's rooted in the word. He's rooted in the word. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Notice two specific observations. He's well planted. He's well planted. The phrase rivers of water there literally means divisions of water. And it probably refers to the way they irrigated in the ancient Middle East world. They would dig canals in every direction. And through these, water was carried to all of the vegetation. Egypt was once covered in these canals, and in that way, the waters of the, of the river Nile were dispersed to every part of the valley through which the river ran. There were gardens that were arranged so that water was conveyed around every plot and to every tree. And so there's all of these Can canals, there's all of these channels, and he is like a tree that is planted in the midst of that type of irrigation system. He's well planted. He's well planted. It's the word of God must be channeled into your life. You know, a, a farmer goes through a lot of trouble uh, if he needs irrigation. He goes through a lot of trouble to provide that irrigation to his crops. You know, we lived next to uh, a cornfield. And up in Michigan, we don't really have to worry about irrigation as much there because rain is pretty regular up until, you know, this year. Uh, so, so it's been a little bit of a rough year on the farmers, but they are always out in those fields maintaining those fields. They're always out making sure it drains properly and laying down a tile. And they've got huge machines and everything to do that. They're, they're disking at the right time. They're just They're always maintaining those fields to make sure that the crops get everything that they need. And it takes work also as a Christian to make sure you're maintaining that you're well planted. Do you make time for the Word of God? You know, I was joking around with Pastor Hovey because I'm, this is a little bit more of a commute than I'm used to. Uh, when I first came down to Texas, somebody said, 
well, we're just going over to so and uh, such and such a place. It's, it's right down the street. 45 minutes later, I thought, right, where? You don't drive 45 minutes for anything uh, back in Michigan. You just don't. And so anyway, that was a learning curve, even when uh, I was first getting to know the petties and all of that. And so, you know, it's just now it's a part of my week, the commute. And I was joking about it with pastor that he said, well, you know, he was trying to give me advice, ways to just avoid spending so much time in the car. And I said, Pastor Hubby, I listened to the whole book of Romans on the way home today. You know, there are practical ways that you can make sure you're well planted. What gets scheduled gets done, right? You must cut the channels yourself to ensure that you are well planted in the word. Are you ensuring that you've got God's word as a habit in your life? It needs to be a habit. Have you formed habits? Have you taken steps? Have you scheduled time for it? However, it's uh, most convenient for you. Are you well planted? Are you well watered? Are you well watered? Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the church, with the washing of water by the word. The word of God is the water that, that cleanses us. It's also the water that, that nourishes us, that, 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 that keeps us going as Christians. In John 7, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried in John 7, 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. We are to be well watered as Christians, and there's the water of the word. Jesus told his disciples, you are clean by the words that I have spoken unto you. Are you well watered? Are you well planted? The blossoming man is rooted in the word, and we see him also reaping from the word. He's reaping from the word. It says he'll be like a tree, and this is a fruit tree, a tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So according to the psalm, if you re read the word, receive the word, and obey the word, you're going to reap a harvest of spiritual fruit. There should be a harvest of spiritual fruit if you are rooted in the word. Matthew 12, verse 23, or 13, rather, verse 23, Jesus gives the parable of the, of the sower. It says, he that received seed, we know uh, from his explanation of the parable that the seed is the word, Jesus says, he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So Jesus says, they that receive the word are going to bear fruit. They're going to bear fruit. We know from Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law that if the Word is working in your heart and the Spirit is working through that, that you will be bearing fruit as a result. Jesus said in Matthew 7 again, verse 17, Even so, 
Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's the expectation that if we are rooted in the word, we ought to be bearing fruit. We ought to be reaping from the word. There ought to be something in your life that shows God's working in your heart and producing in your life. And then notice he's robust in the word. What does that mean? It means he's stable. It means he's strong. It says his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The unwithering leaf. He's well planted and well watered. He's producing fruit, and because he's well planted and well watered and has deep roots in the word, he's robust. His leaf doesn't wither. It stands the test of time. This is a tree that's not affected by the changes in the weather. It stands the test of time. You ought to also, as a Christian, if you're well-rooted and grounded in the Word of God, if you're well-watered by the Word of God, you ought to, as a Christian, stand the test of time, the troubles and the trials unhindered in your growth. It's like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen earth vessels, verse 7. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not on us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul did not promise an easy life as a child of God. Not at all. But he did say, you know, we're troubled, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but hope isn't lost. We're persecuted, but never forsaken. And we might get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. That's what I mean by being robust. Do you have that kind of stability in your life? One of my favorite verses is Psalm 112, verse 7. It's talking about the righteous man who says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Where does that kind of stability come from? From knowing what the Bible says, from knowing the character of your heavenly father, that when you, even when you hear bad news, you think, all right, God's in control. God has a plan. He's going to use this for my good. He's not forgotten. He's not messed up. He's not on the edge of heaven going, whoops, fell asleep for a minute there. None of these things have caught my heavenly father by surprise. And so he's not afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Do you have that kind of stability in your life? Notice also he's rooted in the word, reaping from the word, robust in the word, and then he's rich. In the word, verse 3, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's successful at what he puts his hand to. Joshua 1.8 is the only time we find the word success in the Bible, and it also is tied to Scripture. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That sounds kind of familiar. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. He's rich in the word also. God gives him success. He prospers him. How many times have we seen, even in the worst of situations, like Joseph, for example, that I mentioned this morning, he was sold into slavery. He was a slave in Potiphar's house, and God blessed Joseph in Potiphar's house. And Joseph prospered there as a servant in Potiphar's house. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. And God blessed Joseph in prison until he was basically second in command over the prison also. And then when he went before Pharaoh, God blessed Joseph also over Egypt. The blessed man and the blossoming man. And then there's a third man described in Psalm 1, and that's the blasphemous man. The blasphemous man. The ungodly are not so, verse 4. But are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You notice the blasphemous man is dogged by change. He's dogged by change. He's like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The way they separated out their wheat was they would gather it together and throw it up in the air. And then the wind would drive away those light, you know, husk portions and the grain would fall back down again. Kind of reminds me, yesterday we were uh, working on a project outside and we got every fan on the property pointing in our general direction. And one of the fans we set down right on a pile of sawdust. And when that thing kicked on, I got a face full of it. The ungodly are like the dust, the chaff that's tossed driven away by the breeze. Job said, man is born unto trouble, Job 5 verse 7, as the sparks fly upward. As you watch a campfire and you see all the sparks going up and then disappearing, they're driven away. They're temporary. Proverbs 13 verse 15 says, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. And James 1 verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is a, a key characteristic of a child of God? That stability we talked about. Because faith gives you the perspective you need in the midst of hard times. The world doesn't have that. They're dogged by change. It's just one thing after another. And then notice the blasphemous man is also destined for condemnation. Why? It says, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. We know a little bit more about the judgment. We know that actually they'll not be standing because they'll be all, without exception, kneeling. <laughs> Philippians 2 says, wherefore, God hath highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On judgment day, there's no defense. They'll give no defense for themselves. They will be utterly and completely condemned. As 
Uh, Jesus said in John 3, either 17 or 18, that those that believe not are condemned already because they have not believed in the only begotten Son of God. They won't stand in the day of judgment. They're condemned. And then also he's doomed by corruption. The way of the ungodly shall perish. They're temporary. Psalm 145 verse 20 says, The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. Everything they build for themselves, the legacies, everything one day will be gone. They'll perish. Worldly men and rich men scramble to put their name on something, whether it's a road or a hospital wing or a library or whatever, so that they'll be remembered long after they're gone. But even then, all of that will perish. They're temporary. They're doomed by corruption. Everything will one day be made new. Revelation 20 says, In that day I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Without exception, all of them, apart from Christ, are doomed for corruption. There's only one way of escape, which God and his love has provided for us all. For God's so love the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God knoweth, it says in verse 6, the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. They're doomed but for corruption, they're destined for condemnation. They're dogged by change. What about you? Which one of these best describes you? Are you a, a blessed man? You're not walking according to the, the culture. It's so incredible how easy it is for us to believe what the world preaches. But if you're in the Word, guided by the Word, and gladdened by the Word, and meditating on it, and delighting in it, as Scripture says, God uses that to wash all of that away and keep you on the right path. What about the blossoming man? The blossoming man. Do you realize if there's no fruit in your life, maybe you're not as well planted as you ought to be? There ought to be fruit in your life. There ought to be some evidence. You ought to be able to look back and say, you know, this is the lesson that God taught me recently, last week, the week before that. You ought to see places in which God has helped you to grow. Because if you are rooted in the word, you will be reaping from the word. You'll bring forth fruit and God expects you to do so. And if you're well rooted, then you're also well grounded, right? If you've been dogged and troubled by fear, by the news, by uncertainty, by things happening in your own life, if you're not as stable as you probably should be as a Christian, 
look back. Am I in the Word? Am I spending time in the Word? Am I in prayer? Or am I, you know, just getting a few verses here and there? Maybe you're not as rooted as you ought to be. With deep embedded roots come stability. Those giant sequoia trees, they have a a root system that just you wouldn't believe how far they stretch. And the reason they can be so tall and live for so long and weather all those storms is because of the roots that are strong and wide and really not that deep for a sequoia tree. But they're all intertwined and they have a, a sure foundation. This is your foundation as a Christian. It's your light. It's your lamp. It's your guidebook. It should be pointing the way and it should be giving you fresh perspective every single morning of every single day. Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray, Father, that you would help each and every one of us to get back into it, how easy it is not to delight in it, not to meditate on it. Lord, we just pray that this week especially, that you would give us a newfound joy and desire for your word. Lord, that you would teach us from it this week. That you would help us this week. There's, I don't know what's going on in everyone's lives in this room, but every single person is in a different place dealing with different situations and circumstances. Lord, that we might be, as your psalm says, fixed because we're trusting in you. Teach us from your word this week, Lord, that we might, when we get together again, know a little bit more about you than we did today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.